You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome Jennifer O'Quirquiu to the show. Dr. Jennifer is a psychiatrist specializing in women's mental health and reproductive psychiatry. I found her through her Instagram page and stumbled across the articles that she writes for staff. I was really drawn to her storytelling and the way that she shares her personalized experience navigating the field of medicine as a black woman, while also navigating the experience of being in the medical system as a patient going through labor and delivery as a mother. It is Black Maternal Health Week this week, and Dr. Jennifer and I are here to have a real and honest conversation about the invisible load that Black women carry going through pregnancy, labor, and delivery that myself as a white woman did not have to go through. In this conversation, we unpack why we have a Black Maternal Health Week and why it is so important. We discuss the variables that are at play that impact Black maternal outcomes. And Dr. Jennifer shares some resources for Black mothers going through pregnancy, labor, and delivery to help you practically plan and navigate the medical system during this time. I really enjoyed getting to know Dr. Jennifer, and I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. So let's tune in to my chat with Dr. Jennifer on the invisible load of Black pregnancy and birthing. Hey mamas, Erica here. I don't know about you, but I spent my time before baby's arrival prepping things like the nursery and shopping online for clothes and all the baby gear when really what I needed to be preparing for was my adjustment into motherhood or my postpartum experience. What I truly needed was a birth plan for mom. And guess what? I've created the resource I wish I had. A child isn't the only one who needs care and support during the postpartum period. It is so important that we learn to mother the mother. And in this case, for you to learn how to cultivate your own inner mother and nurture yourself in the postpartum period. And the postpartum prep list that I created helps you to do just that. It will help you to think through and prioritize your needs in the postpartum period, as well as educate you on any of the red flags or things to be mindful of in terms of postpartum depression, anxiety, or intrusive thoughts. It is a 20-page substantial resource, and it is completely free. This is something I wish I had and I want all moms to have so they feel empowered and prepared to go into whether it's their first time birth experience or adding siblings and additional members of their family. This resource is for anyone going through that transition. You can find it at happyasamother.co slash prep list. It's happyasamother.co slash P-R-E-P list. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. I stumbled across you on Instagram slash Googling and came across your articles and the perspective that you write from. I am so excited and I don't think there's a better suited person to be having this conversation with today. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for the invitation. It's really an honor. I am always so curious about people's journeys because I was reading an article of yours about getting into medicine and sort of pivoting partway through that journey. I feel like many of us do that when we go in with a specialty, but we find like a passion or love for something else. So can you share a little bit with your story about 
how you got into psychiatry. And then you really honed in on women's health, right? Yeah, yeah. So funny enough, you know, I started off med school wanting to be a surgeon. Like I thought that was, you know, the coolest thing. I was like, how more intimate can you get with your fellow man than like, you know, being like really hands-on. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously I was a fan of Grey's Anatomy. So I was like, oh, naturally, you know, I have to go into surgery. But, you know, when you get into med school and you go through your kind of like the book learnings, like the first like two years, and then you go through your rotations, surgery was actually my very first rotation. And I found myself liking the clinic part of surgery more than the actual surgical part of surgery. Hmm. And so I was like, oh, maybe that's my first time that I'm like, I'm not a surgeon at heart. Like the procedural aspect wasn't that exciting to me. I really liked talking to people. I really liked the stories in the clinical interaction. And so because surgery was my very first rotation, I didn't get to psychiatry till the very end. So I kind of had to suffer through all of my other rotations, you know, trying on different hats. I was like, is this me? Is this me? Is this me? And then finally I got to psychiatry and I was like, oh, okay, this is where the story is part of the treatment. This is where Mm -hmm. the story is part of the healing. And it's like that in other areas of medicine too, but it really is a central focus of psychiatry. And it kind of pulled on the part of my brain that's a writer and that like loves stories. And then you know, also the kind of stories that drew me, you know, I loved the storytelling from Grace Anatomy, the stories that drew me to medicine in the first place. And so I felt like psychiatry was a good home. And so then I went to psychiatry residency after med school. And then, you know, we kind of go through a similar process of rotations, you know, you try a bunch of different things throughout the specialty. And, you know, I was all geared up to go into something called forensic psychiatry, which is like the intersection of mental health and legal issues. And I, you know, had my applications all geared up and ready to go, but I was pregnant at the time. And, you know, I took my maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And as part of my leave, part of the reason I got to stay at home as long as I did is because my residency program was quite flexible and they had a reading elective, meaning we could like read a bunch of articles and papers and books and kind of like do a, a presentation on it. And so part of the maternity or parental leave was like maternal and infant mental health reading. And so as I was gearing up to send off my applications to this whole other specialty, I was for the very first time immersed in the literature, immersed in reading, immersed in thought around mothers and babies and mental health. And I was like, why have I never read any of this before? I've never heard any of this before. And so I was experiencing it on a very intellectual level, like through this this reading, but also on a very personal level, because I literally just, I had just had a baby and I was like, all of this stuff is is real and it's happening to me. And so it was very tactile at the moment. So, mm-hmm. you know, as life happens, like you, you mentioned, you kind of pivot. It's kind of like your experiences bring you to the right place at the right time. And it just felt so natural. And I was like, oh, I feel like this is my calling. So I just kind of listened to that and, and went with it and uh, haven't looked back since. Yeah, it's that storytelling piece in you. I feel like that really drew me to you and your the lens that you bring to your storytelling I find that we're in this new era of professionalism where we aren't like the professional behind closed doors and then our clients are over here and we're this blank slate type of feel like for goodness sake, I run an Instagram platform like it's the opposite of that for me now, right? But I had to battle that at first to be able to start this platform, share some of my experiences in motherhood as a therapist struggling with postpartum depression and things like that, like finding a way to integrate my experience into this journey. And I love Mm -hmm. that about your writing where you're able to share some of those reflections along the way. Yeah, I think it's the reflections and the capacity to reflect that really makes us good and strong clinicians, right? Mm -hmm. The ability to sit with your own experiences and how they fit into like the broader context Because I think insight into your own experiences helps us to develop deeper insight into other people's experiences too and kind of have those conversations because the same forces can act on us very differently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think the capacity to reflect through writing just kind of stretches and flexes those muscles. Yeah. And today we're here. It's Black Maternal Health Week. And this is airing during that time. We've got all kinds of content queued for this week. It's something that I'm very passionate about. It's something that you're very passionate about, exploring issues of race and motherhood and medicine. And like motherhood and medicine really collide during Mm -hmm. the pregnancy and postpartum period. And that collision isn't necessarily an equal experience for each person, is it? And I would love for us to dive into this topic today. You shared a story 
something that I really related to, and maybe the listeners will too, but something from a clinical perspective I really related to, because sometimes in the mental health field, we find ourselves in some situations where we have to make some judgment calls and maybe include, I don't know, as a therapist, maybe include a psychiatrist or as a psychiatrist, maybe include like the next escalation up from there, like a police officer, if we're in like a crisis situation or something. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking, including the police Mm -hmm. with like, whether it's maybe a black mother or a black father it really muddies the waters, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. doesn't it? These are not things that, well, you're talking about, but that are not talked about enough. So we're here to unpack some of those today. Yeah. We all live on the same planet, but we really live in different worlds depending on your background, you know, your identity, your cultural upbringing, your privileges, all of those things really do impact your lived experience. And then that goes on to how you interface with the medical establishment and then, you know, specifically with mental health care. Mm-hmm. I think there's been a lot of positive work and influence, you know, particularly through work like yours, like destigmatizing mm. mental health care. But that's often a, a big hurdle that a lot of patients have to overcome because there's a lot of historical distrust for the medical system and the mental health system, you know, and then there's been many ways in which. My profession has been weaponized against minorities and people of color like in the past. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's part of my responsibility as a person of color in this profession to grapple with that history, but then also make its benefits available to people that it can benefit. And if I could be, you know, the opportunity for someone to have a conversation about their mental health, to have a conversation about their own lived experiences and how they feel like their life can be improved. Like, I feel like that's totally in line with my purpose and my passion. And for those who maybe haven't spent time reflecting on this space or or maybe don't know, like, why do we have a Black Maternal Health Week that we're bringing awareness around and prioritizing and celebrating this week? Yeah, so I think I want to say this week, it's um, really focused on advocacy and awareness and community building. And I want to say it's only been around for five or six years. Mm-hmm. I think and so. it was a initiative really focused on starting important conversations around the state of the health and wellness of Black women in the motherhood space. I say women, people who identify you know, as, as women right. or people who identify as mothers, you know, in this space. You know, zooming out a bit, you know, maternal health in the United States is embarrassing. Mm. We have probably the worst outcomes of all developed nations, you know, nations who are kind of have the same sort of like economic, you know, resources that we also have access to. And, you know, I, according to, I did some reading on this, according to like the Commonwealth Fund, our patients are more likely to die than in other wealthy nations. And every one of those deaths is accompanied by like 80 cases of very severe pregnancy related complications and minority communities Black women in particular bear the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. This is something that I kind of experienced in, in my own pregnancy. You know, I had an episode of preterm labor after I had complained of pain and, you know, I wasn't really, I guess, taken seriously or, or treated for it and then ended up in the hospital a couple of days later with an episode of preterm labor. So as I was sitting there, I was just thinking, I was like, well, this is my own profession. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm an educated person. I understand what my doctors are saying to me. It's not a question of like health literacy or any of those things. And yet here I am like on the verge of being a statistic. And so I think this week is really about starting those conversations, inviting more people to the table to have these conversations, making more people listen. I think that's one big element, but I think another element is just the community and collaboration, Mm -hmm. right? You know, as a psychiatrist, I don't think it's very helpful to have a conversation that's all doom and gloom and like black motherhood is crisis and death like all day mm-hmm. long, right? I don't think that's useful. Like, yes, it can sound the alarm, but okay, now that we've sounded alarm, what's the song that we're going to sing to mm-hmm. like, kind of like lift us all up around, around this common cause that, you know, everybody should feel passionate about. And so I really enjoyed kind of like, especially, you know, you, you work a lot in the visual medium of Instagram. I've really enjoyed immersing myself in joyful pictures of Black motherhood as well. Mm. And I think that's been very helpful in countering, not ignoring, right? And not saying, oh, Black motherhood isn't something we should be hypervigilant about. We should, 
But on the other hand, we can hold two things in our hands at once. We can hold the fact that there's this urgency to it, but we can hold in the other hand, the fact that black motherhood can be joyful. It can be celebrated. It can be kind of like this nexus of like liberation, like where we are able to push forward, you know, ideas of joy and peace and like, just the ability to be ordinary. You know, I think that's something to be celebrated too, Yeah, you know, as well. Yeah. It's really bringing to mind this conversation I had with my husband. So he is from West Africa. He's from Benin and his family all lives there. And we got engaged in Central Africa and with each child before COVID, one has not been yet, but with each child. So two of our boys have been over there in their first year to like meet the extended family and will go and stay for a month or two at a time. And learning about how women are positioned in the culture there and the experience of motherhood there versus here. I say here, I'm in Canada, but like in North America, generally speaking. Uh And like it was even different before colonization. They were colonized by the French, but like women are revered. Mothers are like honored and... Uh Like, it's just such a different, I don't know. I just really got to observe this different lens of motherhood. And as somebody who's immersed in the motherhood world, it was like such a beautiful thing. And the duty that my mother-in-law feels to be a grandma and like Uh come and stay for three months when we have a baby (laughs) and stuff like that. It's a very different experience. And I think that like I'm working on a project and we're kind of looking at these different things of motherhood so we can break out of this intensive motherhood that we're experiencing in North America, this very anxiety-driven, perfectionist-driven experience we're having, and just observe, not to take away from or not to, like, appropriate, but to just, like, appreciate and acknowledge these other expressions of motherhood that are out there. And, like, I don't know, like you said, that joy and just revering it. Like, it's really – it was something that I just stood out so clearly to me. Yeah, no, that that totally speaks to me as well. My family's from Nigeria. My parents were like, you know, born and raised there. Um, but I've basically grown up in the United States. So I, I'm kind of like straddling both worlds, you know? Right. After each of my kids, like there's something called Omugwo in Igbo culture. Like that's the tribe that my, that I guess my dad is from, but my husband is also from as well. And that's where kind of similar to what you experience, your mother-in-law or your mom, you know, they come and they take care of you for basically this, like what we call like this four trimester. So I think it's like a period of 40 days where they really take care of the mother because Mm -hmm. a baby is not only born, but a mother is born too. Right. And so the woman is taken care of. She's fed, she's massaged, she's like the household is basically managed for her because it really understands the tremendous process of birthing, right? It's this dual process. A baby is born and a mother is born too. Mm-hmm. And so it's that communal caring. You know, I kind of bring that influence into my work with patients that I do now. I, you know, I always tell my patients, I'm like, you know, we weren't designed to do this alone. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, back as a writer, I use these metaphors. I'm like, you know, back in the day, you know, like if we lived in a cave or whatever, you would ha- might have your mom with you, your aunt, your sister, your grandma, when you had this baby, you were not with that baby by yourself. Mm-hmm. American culture is very individualistic, mm-hmm. very isolated, right? A very, I can do it myself. And also the pandemic has just made that a lot worse. Right. So you right. have all these moms who are just thinking, why can't I do this? When I'm like, we weren't designed to do this by ourselves. Yeah. We were designed to do this in villages. And so that experience for me was very it was restorative and healing because yes, I'm an American, right? And in some ways have been indoctrinated by this. I can do it on my own. I can do it myself. Like, <laughs> Right. I should and I can and I will at, yeah. you know, at the expense of yeah. my own well-being, you know. Yeah. 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 Experiencing my own mom coming to take care of me and then my mother-in-law, you know, you know, obviously moms are complicated figures. Yeah. There's relationship <laughs> dynamics yes. there moms, always. Mom, moms, yeah, yeah. Moms are complicated <laughs> figures. But looking back, I just like looked back on my, you know, my fourth trimester with such joy because I was like, wow, like I was really, really cared for. You know, I was held as I made this transition into motherhood. And I try and bring that same type of energy like into my clinical work with my patients, like helping them understand that, you know, I'm not alone, that we can recreate villages, you know, even if your family isn't close by, like you can have support through your mental health team. You know, there's group therapy, there's like support groups. Mm -hmm. there's doulas, you know, there are night nurses, like 
you know, depending on what resources you have access to, you know, we can, let's get creative and let's get creative early. It's not when we're in crisis that we're trying to pull all these pieces together, right? It's before, before all of that happens. And so knowing, you know, you, you're planning ahead for that, you know, that three month journey, like let's, let's plan ahead, like first trimester, like what do we have to do to get you a village? Yeah. And we're talking about like, North American motherhood being very isolating, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And then we've got this added layer of if you are a black mom or maybe even like a mom of color and you're in this like white centric sort of environment, Mm -hmm. I feel like there's like this deeper level of isolation. And I polled my audience um, in stories in preparation for the content that we'll be releasing the week of this podcast asking Like, what is the invisible load that you carry of black pregnancy and birthing? And this was some of the words that came in. So like managing microaggressions and stereotypes when going into labor and delivery, things like assuming there isn't a father involved or just all these like really, you know, little things that you don't want to have to be managing ever, but especially in this situation. Fear of increased mortality rate, which we talked about, three to four times more likely to die of a, of a complication in birth than white women are. Pain not being taken seriously, like you just shared in your own experience. Like, am I going to be given pain medication when I need it? Is my pain or my complaint going to be taken seriously? Not being listened to or heard. Pressure to do your own research because there's like a distrust in the medical mm-hmm. system. Uh finding a provider who can understand Uh your experience. I think that comes back to that isolation piece, the uncertainty about the care you will receive, constantly having to advocate, and then finding a doula or labor and delivery advocate for you. And these are things that I did not have to carry as a white woman into my Uh birthing experience. Uh You know, of course I had to maybe advocate for myself at times in the medical system Or, you know, maybe want a doula or a midwife there, but it's not a matter of life or death for me. Like, it doesn't Uh feel like the stakes are different, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was sort of taken back when I was collecting these words that, like, there is this whole other invisible load of not only raising Black children, that's another different load, and that I share in a bit because my children are Black, but in just the pregnancy and birthing experience, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think your series on the invisible load, I think it's like very powerful. And I even bring it into my own clinical work, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think it serves to break down the walls of isolation, Mm -hmm. helping people to say, oh, other people are having this experience too. Like there's a name for what I'm going through. There's a name for this experience. And I think once something is brought into language, it then gives us the tools to start working around it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I reflect on the invisible load of Black pregnancy as well and kind of like the mental health kind of implications around that. Pregnancy is a time of hypervigilance, you know, in general. And then when you layer on the racial disparities and discriminatory experiences on top of that, it can uh, feel even all the more fraught. Mm-hmm. You know, even as a Black mom myself, there's probably one experience I would add to that. Please do. You know, obviously the incident with the Oscars, you know, happened and it's brought up this conversation about alopecia and like conversation around what hair means in the black community. And so postpartum hair loss, like postpartum hair shedding, I think in the black community is like a big topic mm. and conversation. Okay. You know, I've had two babies and my edges were totally snatched off <laughs> mm-hmm. after, you know, I'd never had an experience like that. And it just kind of like really knocks your self-esteem and how that interacts with your identity as a black woman and what your hair might mean to you, you know, and I have uh, a group of black moms. We have like a mom's group and we were all just talking about our experiences with hair loss and how traumatized, like we didn't, people don't talk about it right before you get pregnant or, you know, after pregnancy, it's only until you like happens to you and people are like, Oh yeah, welcome to the club. You're like, why didn't anyone tell me <laughs> this was, mm-hmm. this was coming or what to expect. But there's that added layer of like, okay, what does a black woman do with her hair? right? Because it's such a loaded and like political and like culturally salient topic for a lot of us. It's like pretty heated and can be emotionally um, heavy. Mm -hmm. There's also, I think you had mentioned this before, interacting with systems of power. The medical establishment is a system of power. And so assumptions that might be made, like fear of DCF being called the Department of Children and Family Services or Child Protective Mm -hmm. Services being called based on assumptions being made about 
somebody's ability to parent or who is going to be a good parent based on, you know, what they look like or what their outward appearance, you know, may be. I even kind of experienced this myself. Like anytime I'm bringing my kids to the pediatric, you know, I kind of let my kids be free to to be who they are. I don't like dress them up in like prissy, like, you know, dresses or anything. I'm like, okay, they're going to roll on the floor and they're going to play. Let me get them functional clothes that are going to stand the test of time. But when we go to the doctor, I'm like, oh, okay, like let's put on something a little bit more. I don't want them to think I'm neglecting you. And I hear that thought and I get so mm. sad that I have to catch myself thinking that our white pediatrician is going to think that I'm neglecting them because they aren't dressed to the nines to go. I just don't want to give anyone any kind of reason to doubt me. And it's kind of that running narrative mm-hmm. that accompanies like your pregnancy experience too. Yeah, that also came in. That came in in submission. So like we get like thousands of submissions that we boiled Uh down for these graphics. But one of the ones that also came in was dressing professional enough that I will be taken seriously. Uh Uh And this is a conversation that I have with my husband all the time. And this is outside of the pregnancy and delivery realm. But like even if he goes to Walmart in the middle of the like in the evening, like like, you know, 10 at night before it closes at 11 and he's in a hoodie and he walks in with his hood up, they page security. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? You know, and I mean, it's shocking to me. I'm a white person. (laughs) I didn't grow up with this. Like to him, it doesn't shock him anymore. But like, so the considerations he has to take, okay, like if I'm going to go to Walmart at nighttime and I have to like make sure my hood is down, I have to do this and do that. And so this constant invisible load that runs in the background, pulling on like our emotional capacity, Mm -hmm. our like there are studies around like the nervous system mm-hmm. being over like hypervigilant and overactivated and taking a toll, you know, yeah. like the weathering. Um, I think we call it yes, weathering. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The weathering. And I hear, oh, I can't remember the name right now, an author that I follow. Um, I think it's me and white supremacy author, Layla something. I can't think of it right now. I follow her on Instagram and she was talking about how she wants to just like go home to Africa and like where she lives to just like have her nervous system just like settle for a minute because it's just this yeah I I think about that a lot and I think that's what kind of like what the core of like black liberation is it's like where can you just breathe like where can you just be and I and I use that word before it's like where can we just be ordinary where where do we not have to have these extremes of experience like hyper vigilance hyper awareness yeah it's just uh peace Helping people achieve a sense of peace is so important to me as a psychiatrist. There was one other, I wanted to say, another like invisible load. Like I remember, you know, I was pregnant during the pandemic and like doing lockdown and I couldn't watch the news. Like I couldn't watch because, you know, like all the Black Lives Matter protests. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And we didn't find out the gender of our second kid. She's a girl. <laughs> but I remember just crying when she was born because I was, and I realized I was terrified of having a son. Hmm. I was so scared because all I could see, sorry, I'm getting like tearful now. I, all I could see on the news was like people just committing so many acts of violence against black bodies. And like black women are totally subject to this violence as well. Obviously it's not, it's not talked about as much. It doesn't get as much press as black women, but it was just for months, it was just images of, somebody snuffing out a black life, like this police officer kneeling on this black man's neck. And I was like, this will break me, you know? Yeah. And I realized I was carrying this fear of like having a black son. And I felt such a sense of relief when my daughter was a daughter. I mean, I love girls. I have two girls now and I, their <laughs> bond is so, their bond is so special and I love it. And I, I feel like I would love to also have a son one day too, but I'm, it's scary. It is really terrifying, right? Um, yeah, that's like kind of. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, it's like, <laughs> getting tearful I'm too. Here, I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm here and I'm tearing up because I distinctly remember those moments as a mom raising three black sons, like interracial scene for their skin, going through that experience and like not getting out of bed for a day. Mm-hmm. I know it's so hard. Like I said, I couldn't watch the news. I kind of just had to shut down. I had to do what I could to protect my peace. Yeah. Because I was growing a life. You know, I was nurturing a life and I couldn't have my energy zapped by this additional weathering of just like how tumultuous things were. And so it's just part of the part of the the invisible load, you know, that you carry when you're carrying a black life, you know, inside of you. And um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's another piece of this invisible load where, and I'm sure that the experience of either gender has their own uh-huh. things that they're going to face, right? And so there's this added level of like wanting to protect and wanting to shelter, but wanting to provide safety. And there are these things that Black mothers carry. And I think that when I think about Black Maternal Health Week, I think about how like Black women are deserving, right? Like deserving of an experience that doesn't carry this extra invisible load with it. And so when we have the advocacy, when we have the communities coming together, we have conversations like these that we are breaking down some of the barriers to that. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation, okay, when I started this podcast, probably a year and a half ago, maybe, about like my first sort of introduction to this topic and, you know, having these conversations. And it was with the Black doula and she's an advocate. She she goes alongside um, Black women into labor and delivery experiences and like advocates on their behalf and stuff. And I was like, okay, why are these things happening? Like, the rates around like outcomes with labor and delivery. Is there a medical reason that makes black women like more predisposed to something? And they were like, help me reconcile this and understand. And like, it came back to some really like systemic things. Hey, Uh like biases in the medical Uh system and racism and like various pieces like that. Right. Right. Yeah. We have to understand our, like, remember that Western medicine was, designed to serve white males, you know, Mm. follow the money, follow the resources, and you kind of see who gets priority. And I feel like we're getting better these days, but it's still very much in the water. You know, some people ask like, oh, like, where does racism show up in medicine? But I think an easier question to answer is where doesn't it show up? Mm. Right? When we talk about systemic reform, it's because it baked into the, the cake, like baked into the bread, the ingredients, Racism is kind of like the foundation. Mm. I think that's where reflection and self-awareness comes into play because, you know, I'm a doctor, right? I'm reading the text. I'm reading textbooks. I'm getting lectures. I'm doing clinical rotations. And medicine, is a, it's largely an apprenticeship model. Like we're learning from people. So what is it that I have learned that's been baked into my education, mm. right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Different representations of illness, if there's any representation at all as it pertains to like black or brown people. You know, that image that went viral of like the black fetus, you know, that was drawn by the med student. It was such a big deal because we don't see those images. Yeah. Right. You don't see black skin in dermatology textbooks. Mm. So it's like, how do doctors, how do med students or like residents or, you know, more experienced attendings, how do they learn to understand what the manifestations are of illness in people that don't have skin like theirs? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's where some of this gets baked in. It can be baked into who gets asked specific questions or screened for specific illnesses. Mm. You don't get screened for an illness. You can't get treated for an illness you don't know you have. Right. Right. Or if one illness, like for example, I did a interview like, was it like two weeks ago or something like that about fibroids and endometriosis, or it was a, a panel, a panel discussion on fibroids and endometriosis. These are two conditions that have a heavy impact in minority communities, mm-hmm. like for people with uteruses, right? Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of like understanding around these illnesses. Like diagnosis often is delayed. There's like a lot of stigma, you know, attached to them. And you know, the one of the physician that was on the panel, she was a OBGYN, like quite expert in her field. But she just again, she said, you know, follow the money. If endometriosis, you know, in the past may have been a disease of like white women, and so if a white woman presents with like chronic pelvic pain, they're like, okay, you have endometriosis, and then you get treated. But if a black woman appears with the same constellation of symptoms, they might say, you have pelvic inflammatory disease, which is a disease caused by a sexually transmitted infection that kind of just Mm. became chronic. So just based on that initial bias might influence the questions that you ask. Yeah. And you don't know what you don't know if you don't ask the questions. And if everyone's not being asked equitable questions, then you can see how different diseases get diagnosed in different people and different people have access to different treatments. Right. It's everywhere, right? It's in the water. Yeah, yeah. And so it really does require a structural upheaval. And I hope we can see more progress, you know, in our lifetimes. 
but it's work. It's an, it's it's ongoing work. To be anti-racist, it's a verb. It's an action word. It's not just like, oh, we did this diversity training and now we're good. Check right? that box. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a constant learning and unlearning and building. One of the concepts I always go back to, I. Uh, Audre Lord, she says, you can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, mm. right? Mm-hmm. That speaks to the systems and how systems can have oppression kind of baked and built into mm-hmm. them. We need new systems mm-hmm. to be able to more equitably serve black and brown people like all over the country and even, even all over the world as well. And I know that when we start to have these conversations, it feels really heavy. It feels really hopeless. It feels really like, what can I possibly do? I'm not a doctor in the system. How do I make some kind of change here? Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of an interview that I did with Dr. Tracy Baxley. She released a book on social justice parenting Mm -hmm. and just talking about how we can take some ownership for our own actions Mm -hmm. and we can reflect on our own implicit biases, which it is the air we breathe. It is the, uh-huh. it is, it is in us, you know, whether we really want to acknowledge it or not. And I see lots of comments like, because you dated or in an interracial relationship doesn't excuse you from the experience of racism or like prejudice and things like that. And it is true when something is like woven into your upbringing, you will encounter thoughts or moments that come up that reveal biases even still, right? And so even just having the courage ourselves to uh, like become curious and reflect on those things mm-hmm. and take some ownership for our own selves and our own biases, like we are raising a next generation of like doctors and lawyers and people who are going to run these mm-hmm. systems. And if we can unpack some of our own biases and raise our children in a different way than maybe we were raised, mm-hmm. that in itself has such an impact. Yeah. I think what's important for people to take away is that it's all, it's take this wall with some humility, right? There's no way that all of us can know everything about every race and culture and like different lived experiences. But by bringing things into respectful conversation, we have the opportunity to learn, right? And through learning, that's how we grow. That doesn't mean like, oh, put the burden on other people to like, you know, teach you like, do like, you know, like do do your work. But if you make a mistake, apologize and learn Mm -hmm. before, right? Mm -hmm. Humility, I think is just the key factor there, you know, Mm -hmm. and the power of the apology, a real, a real apology. Yeah. And I think like a willingness to to listen and understand like so I will put out content like this on you know in regular different spurts of rotation and inevitably people really want to like buckle down and defend their position or their choice or their view or their whatever and it's like I can't argue with you about your birth and labor and delivery experience. Like, I'm not here to prescribe your experience to you. I didn't live your experience. I didn't Mm -hmm. walk in your shoes. Mm -hmm. I didn't, Mm -hmm. you know, go through life, like, through your eyes and through your experience. So I think that just a willingness for us to hear and understand as well, as much Mm -hmm. as that it might be hard and you've got to really bite your tongue and and learn to do that and wrestle with yourself. It's, it's really needed for these conversations to move forward and be productive and helpful, right? Mm-hmm. And it brings me back full circle to sort of how we open up this conversation talking about what was the word in for this 40 days that you had said? There was a term for it in your culture when moms came in. Oh, omoguo. Like it brings me back to this because I think about those who are listening right now who might be black moms, who might be maybe preparing for a child or who might be in the postpartum wrestling right in some of this. And I would love to hear what your advice for those listening would be. But it makes me think about like surrounding yourself with people who you can be at peace with, especially in your postpartum experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I did spend some time like you know, thinking about this. And, you know, I totally understand the irony of the things I'm about to say, because, you know, we had just talked about putting the burden on the people who are, you know, being oppressed. And it's like part of that mental load, right? Right. Like having to find the tips to think how you can, how do I survive pregnancy, like unscathed, you know, if if there's such a thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there were some, maybe I can like send them to you afterwards, but there was a great article in the New York Times, I want to say that came out within the past, like, it was definitely during the pandemic, but it talked about protecting your black birth. Mm. And I thought it was such a good article that kind of just highlighted so many of the things that we've talked about today. And, you know, they even give like lines or scripts or things that 
you know, moms who are concerned can just kind of have in their back pocket for when they're interfacing with the medical, you know, establishment or like going to their OB or, you know, their midwife, whoever is, you know, helping them through the birthing process. Again, power of language, like that script can help you start an important conversation, can bring your concerns about race and like the the state of Black pregnancy, you know, in America, uh, like bring it into the room, right? you know, because at the end of the day, the only person that loses out is you and your baby. If you're not advocating for yourself or you're not in the presence of providers who are aware of your concerns and aware of kind of the disparities that you face, like one of the quotes, I wrote it down, you know, it says, I recently read that black women like me have a much higher chance of death related to pregnancy and childbirth than white women. That's really scary. Like, what do you think about these statistics and how can we work together to prevent that from happening? You know, if you ask your providers that upfront, no matter where you are in your, you know, your pregnancy journey, that can start the conversation. And again, start building that village, recruit your OB, recruit your midwife <laughs> into your village, people who are on your team, because they understand what you are facing, mm -hmm. you know, in your unique experience. The one other thing I think can be a powerful tool, again, like using language is using the electronic medical record, you know, to your advantage. Like a lot of doctors or like hospitals these days have patient portals, like messaging portals. If you don't always feel comfortable starting these conversations in person, because, you know, conversations around race can be sometimes really difficult to have. You know, you can always send a message. Mm. Be like, oh, like, thank you so much for our appointment today. I did have one additional question. And, you know, and you can ask the same thing in the medical record. And that way it's, it's documented. Mm -hmm. Your concern is documented and it would really prompt your doctor to respond or your care provider to respond, you know, in a way and really get a plan, an action plan on, on paper. And then the New York Times article was written in collaboration by a Black woman named Erica Chidi-Cohen. I don't know if you're mm -hmm. familiar with her and her, her work. She owns this company called Loom that's all about kind of like reproductive justice and like supporting like body autonomy and like freedom of choice for like women. And she wrote this in collaboration with a OBGYN from Stanford. But they, as a result, I think of writing that New York Times piece, they put together an anti-racist birth plan that I think is available for free online. So I can definitely share the link oh, with you after that. Please, but I think, we'll make sure to link it. Yeah, 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 I think just printing that out, wherever you are in your pregnancy, you can bring it to an appointment. It's a tool, again, language that you can use to talk about these things. Again, with the idea that it's an action word, being anti-racist is an action word. So these are the things that I would like to happen. These are my preferences. And I would like you to be aligned with me in making sure that my pregnancy is as safe and as not only safe, like we're not, I don't want to live, I don't want black women to live their lives always trying to like escape danger, but it's like, how do we make this a joyful experience? Right. I don't want that to be lost, you know, as well. And then the last thing I guess I would say, like from a medical perspective, you know, babies are, you know, it's like what, 40, 40 weeks in, I, I tell people it's like 40 weeks out too. A lot of those pregnancy complications not only can take place during pregnancy, but in the year postpartum afterwards. And I don't know about you, but it's like, you know, once those babies are born and your hands are full, your moms tend to neglect themselves, right? We're the mm -hmm. first person to skip out mm -hmm. our, for our own appointments in favor of like doing things for our kids or like, you know, our family. But it's so, so important to keep your appointments postpartum. Black and brown women are at higher risk of pregnancy complications, right? And people who experience pregnancy complications are at higher risk for developing other diseases down the line. Mm. You know, these are things like gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, preterm labor. Pregnancy is a, you know, I, I read something in ACOG, the American, what is it called? Uh, the Academy of College of OB-GYNs and gynecologists. Yeah, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. They call pregnancy kind of like a natural stress test on your body because it's very, it's biologically very stressful. Mm -hmm. If you develop any of these complications under this natural stress test, you are then at higher risk for cardiovascular and like cardiometabolic diseases down the line. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is lost because, you know, once you have the baby, you have your six week visit, you're like, bye. And then like a lot of women, they just like, don't follow up with their care. And no, people don't always get the chance to decompress, to process, okay, what happened during this pregnancy? What does this mean for me? Not only during this pregnancy or my subsequent pregnancies, should I choose to pursue them, but what does this mean for my health overall? Because again, black and brown women, our health is just, it gets neglected, not only during pregnancy, but at other times. Mm -hmm. So pregnancy is, if it's that natural stress test and you have those complications, use this as a time to empower yourself to get connected to care like beyond just delivering or birthing your baby. It's not just about those, you know, those 40 days afterwards, care for yourself for the next 40 years too. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those resources sound so helpful. And it's got me even thinking about, we have like a postpartum prep list that is centered around like mental health related mm-hmm. things. Like mental health complications, mm-hmm. I think are the highest in terms of pregnancy complication. Yep, number one complication. Exactly. Yep. And so with maybe added negative experience or like the amount of birth trauma already that I deal with on the regular, you know, mm-hmm. so like making sure to care for yourself in, in that emotional way as well, mm-hmm. especially if there are these added loads that you're carrying. Yeah. And I can imagine finding the right person to have these conversations with. I know that you mentioned in one of your articles, like the percentage of black doctors that are out there is like so minimal. And I've been actively trying to recruit women of color to be on my team for like, you know, birthing and and postpartum mental health care. And it is challenging because the percentage is fewer, but having these resources that really speak to your experience. And I'll reevaluate based on this conversation our own and whether our postpartum prep list should have maybe an additional resource for Black moms in the postpartum to consider. And it is this fine line between we are in this like institution of motherhood or we're in the institution of like medicine. We're in this system mm-hmm. and it has its responsibilities here. And then we are an individual and yet we're having to shoulder some of the responsibilities to do these things. But it sounds like what you're describing is so protective for us. Mm-hmm. Like we're really trying to carve out some safety within the water around us mm-hmm. and while it is so like it shouldn't have to be that way and that's what we have this week and that's why we, you know black mothers are deserving to not have to do that but it sounds like there are some tools there that help us to try and and you know create some space and some peace around us yeah 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 yeah, yeah i think you, you said you said it so eloquently like it's connected right there's no maternal health without maternal mental health mm-hmm. you know reproductive psychiatrists like myself you know i always counsel my patients that untreated anxiety, untreated depression, untreated psychiatric illness during pregnancy increases your risk for things like preterm labor, issues with your blood pressure, all of those things. And so we try to help our moms build in stress management to their day-to-day, mm-hmm. like the tools that they use on a day-to-day basis, whether that's, you know, medication, whether that's exercise, you know, eating right, mitigating stress, like those things go hand in hand because, you know, if you have a lot of anxiety or you have like a lot of depression and then you develop or it contributes to a higher risk for these like negative pregnancy complications, which then contributes to this like longer term health outcomes, it just like hammers home how salient our health is and how salient our mental health is in caring for ourselves holistically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a mental health professional can be part of your village. And you, I think what's something that people don't always understand is that you don't have to be in crisis to see a mental health mm-hmm. professional. And I tell people, you know, people always put mental health on this like stigmatized like shelf, <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, I have to work mm-hmm. on my mental health. Like, why me? Why do I have to do this? I'm like, well, do you brush your teeth every day? Mm-hmm. You maintain your oral hygiene every day, right? Mm. I'm sure you have some sort of like bathing routine. You might take a shower every day to take care of your skin. You, need, you do these things so your teeth don't rot and like fall out of your head, <laughs> right? You take a shower mm-hmm. so that you keep your skin healthy. So there are things that you have to do every day to maintain your mental health too. Mm-hmm. So let's bring mental health down off of that, like, you know, shelf with the cobwebs on it, <laughs> you know, in the back closet or wherever you want to like hide it and put it, you know, front and center because it's part of your health maintenance. It's part of what you need to feel well. And it's part of helping Black moms protect their peace, maintain your peace, right? Mm-hmm. Again, those are verbs. Those are action words. There's something that you have mm-hmm. to do in order to protect your peace. And so let's invest in those things that allow us to create that space for the peace to exist. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like I could continue to speak with you all day <laughs> long about these things. And they're such necessary conversations. I really appreciate you being here. I appreciate your writings and the way that you use your voice and reflect on like the medical field while you're also navigating it and in it. And I find it so helpful. Where can people find you online? Where can they read some of your work? Um, So I am a columnist for STAT. That's probably my creative home, I guess you could call it, statnews.com. And then I 
also have a, a Twitter. It's the same as my Instagram handle. They can also find me there as well. I am currently a, a reproductive psychiatry fellow at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, and I'm coming to the end of a very long <laughs> training path. And so I will definitely let you know what I'm up to next, but I definitely know a, a big part of my heart and my professional energy will be dedicated towards uplifting the health of like, you know, people of color in this country. I really do feel like it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, part of my calling and especially helping, helping moms weather this transition to motherhood. Well, if there's anything down the road that you want to come in, you know, share your voice on these issues, we are here, we're here for all of it. So thank you so much. I'll link all of those places for people to find your work in the show notes. That is also a blog post. I encourage you to share this with your friends and those who, you know, you've been having conversations with these topics about and, and share it, share with others, have these important conversations in your friend groups and your mom groups. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It really has been uh, an honor to be here today. I really enjoyed my time getting to know Dr. Jen. We spent time after on air chatting and connecting, and I feel like I've made such a great friend in her. And I'm so appreciative for her taking her time to be on the show today. Make sure you click through to the show notes or visit happyasamother.co slash podcast, where you can access the blog post and all the links and resources that Dr. Jennifer spoke about in our episode today. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are going to hear from Eric Taylor, the breastfeeding father on Instagram, about how partners can get involved with and support the breastfeeding journey. You don't want to miss this conversation with Eric. I'll see you next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happyasamother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, Mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.